Welcome to AdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, a career educator. I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician. And welcome to episode six, How to Get in Trouble. Did we get this title wrong? <laughs> no, we didn't, but I feel like a lot of our listeners are going to be asking that. Yeah, I, I think what maybe some of you were expecting was how to not get in trouble if you're a kid. But we all know that kids will get in trouble sometimes. And we've discussed it's really important for kids to learn how to get in trouble. Yeah, there's literally a way that we can teach and cultivate and mold our children to become comfortable with getting in trouble. And I think when we say the word trouble, we don't mean like horrible, negative kind of trouble, but like just being corrected. No, just getting feedback. As adults, we often hear this as feedback. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can feel harsh and more like criticism. Yeah, but when you're a kid, uh, it can be hurtful. And I think if we train our, our children and our students to accept this as uh, a positive, then when you become adults, you can see it just as that and, and use it to better yourself and grow. I remember one time I was dropping our older son off at his Ninja Warrior practice and we were running maybe five, 10 minutes late. I got stuck at work and that happens sometimes as a doctor. And after practice, I picked him up and he was in a bad mood saying, oh, well, my coach asked me why I was late. And then he got mad at me and said I kept wasting time. When I mentioned it to the coach, it wasn't that he was mad about us being late, but that he, my son kept fixating on it and kept trying to argue why it wasn't his fault and why the coach shouldn't be mad at him. When in reality, the coach didn't care. He knows our son doesn't drive himself to practice. Yeah, and we see that a lot, uh, you know, certainly with things that are out of children's control, where they feel it's a reflection of them, and therefore they see it as the adult is mad at them. And look, like Jacqueline said, uh, our older son, he's, he's pretty sensitive, and our younger son is kind of the opposite. <laughs> yes. He, yeah, our younger son, uh, he just doesn't really get bothered as much. Uh, he takes criticism quite well. Yeah, I joke our older son has all of the emotions, and our younger son has none of them. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, needless to say, they're growing up in the same household with the same two parents and the same culture of the house. And so sometimes kids are just different. So, you know, this is not an indication of you or, you know, your parenting, but I think depending on the child, we have to differentiate and we have to know how to reach them and help, how to help them. And we know that for our older son, he needs extra support. He needs extra teaching in how to be corrected or how to get in trouble. Often, especially a child who's a little more sensitive or if they have a little lower self-confidence or lower self-esteem, often that initial reaction is to argue back, no, it's not true, or lie back. And I often get this question at the office, oh, my kid's lying. That's normal. Kids do that all the time. Kids will often lie to get out of trouble. And that's not a reflection of parenting. It's not a reflection of who they're going to be when they're older. That's just a lot of kids natural reactions now I'll often tell families kids rarely lie to create trouble so if a child comes to an adult telling them something big happened or describes a scenario they saw that worried them there likely is if it's not entirely true a good amount of truth to it so i always remind families kids lie to get out of trouble they rarely lie to create trouble 
Yeah, and man, do I see this all the time in school. As you know, an educator for 20 years now and as an administrator for a handful of those, you know, dealing with behaviors and I'll call it situations are just part of the job. And so many of those things that come across the principal's desk or across the office are you know, scenarios where the kid has gotten into trouble. Sometimes it's talking back, sometimes it's uh, an argument with another student, or sometimes with a teacher. And yes, I've had to uh, deal with student versus teacher scenarios, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But in general, Jacqueline's right. Rarely will a student tell a widespreading lie to create trouble. For example, a child is not going to come in and tell me about how they're their teacher is creating a cheating scenario on a test. If a child comes and tells me that, there's probably something I need to look into because that's not something a child's just going to magically come up with on the top of their head. But if a child is reprimanded by a teacher or an adult saying, hey, don't do that, they're immediately going to go, no, I didn't. That, no, that's not my fault. And that's normal. Yeah, the the gut reaction, reaction, the spontaneous, unfiltered reaction, that's what kids do. And as adults, and trust me, as teachers and as parents, naturally, as you know, our reactions are everything to it. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes with, you know, adult reactions and ways that we can talk about uh, what we do when kids do these behaviors. And what's interesting is I honestly don't think our younger son gets into any less, quote, trouble than our older son. I think it's all perception. Anytime our older son is told, stop doing that, or sit down, or you're not listening to me, his perception is, I'm in trouble, the teacher hates me. Versus our younger son gets told this, I'm sure just as frequently, but that's not his natural perception. Yeah, I would say if I had to quantify, I would say our younger son probably gets into trouble more because he, he's a little sneaky sometimes. He likes to poke the bear a little bit and uh, with his brother especially. And so he, he definitely knows how to get in trouble uh, from a you know, discipline standpoint, but he never escalates it because he just kind of takes it and runs with it. And that's what's so important for parents to set a good example of listening to a child, listening to an adult in your child's life, whether it's the teacher, whether it's the doctor, whether it's the coach, and not necessarily choosing sides, but understanding where they're coming from. Yeah, listening to where the child is coming from is really important because obviously they're feeling that way for a reason. In their mind, something has been done to them or something has been wrong. Our older son is very much a justice-oriented person. He likes to know that things are done by the law or by the book or done correctly. And in his mind, when they are not, that's when we see him react to those situations. Which, when I think about that in the future, in an adult personality, he's going to be the person who's going to advocate for justice. He's going to stand up for what he believes in, which is great. But as a child, sometimes that can be a lot. I remember his coach, at the end of practice one day, there just wasn't enough time for him to practice one of his events. And Ryder looked so disappointed. And the coach said, man, every time I tell you no, you look at me like I hate you. And I was sitting there with other parents, so I didn't say anything. But in my head, I wanted to scream because that's what he's feeling inside of his head. Even though obviously the coach does not hate him, but a lot of children who are more sensitive or who don't have a ton of confidence, 
when they hear any no's or criticism, all of a sudden get in their head, oh, this person hates me, I'm a bad kid. Yeah, and I see this all the time in, uh, at school, in the office. We have students daily who come in because they're distressed, they're emotional, they're crying, they're angry because they think that their teacher hates them for something that they did. And that could be as simple as their teacher just correcting them. But the reality is in their mind, they are thinking that their teacher hates them. And, you know, for mo most kids, not all, for most kids, they want to be liked by their teacher. They want to be respected by the adults and seen as, you know, someone that is likable in class. And so when something like a reprimand or a redirection happens, they see it as you know, they are a bad kid. So... If any of this sounds like your child, something you can do is just practice at home. You know, talk with your child about, hey, what happens when your teacher says no? What happens when you are told to be quiet because you were talking? And ask your child how they're feeling. If a child says, oh, my, my teacher says that, so that must mean they hate me. Really talk about that and really explore why your child's feeling that way and talk with him or her about why that's likely not true. So, you know, reverse the scenario. Have your child say, oh, do you, do you love when I tell you no sometimes? Does that mean I don't love you? Using logic, taking scenarios from one setting and applying them to another setting can help your child learn that, hey, when my teacher or my coach says no, or when my coach says I need to listen better, it's just because they love me and they're trying to help me become better. You know, I used to work at a place down in Atlanta called the Ron Clark Academy. And one of the great things that we did at that school was training the kids on how to get in trouble. Exactly what this whole podcast is about this episode. So what we did as it was a grades five through eight school at the time. And so the fifth graders, they were new to the school. Uh, for that you know school year and we would bring them in before the school year even started and be all the staff members the teachers and we would kind of rotate around and the the fifth graders would be in small groups and we'd have all these different stations well my station was this one how to get in trouble without getting in more trouble and so what i would do was i would role play with the kids we would do things like all right i dropped a pencil and now I need to make a big scene about getting it. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a school, but sometimes when something drops, nine people have to go and get it. And it's a big disruption. Or you're talking while the teacher is talking. Or I am messing around with things in my desk that don't need to be messed around with at that time. All these little things that teachers deal with on a daily basis. In isolation, not a big deal. But you don't want to escalate these things. So we would actually role play these scenarios I would be the teacher in the scenario. I would say, all right, da-da-da-da, this is your consequence, or this is what I need you to do. And we would role play a kid who did it correctly and a kid who did it incorrectly. And we would talk about what this looked like. Obviously, it was all role play, so I think the kids felt reassured that no one was actually getting in trouble. But it was a great practice for when a kid actually got into trouble because they can think back to, oh, this is how I'm supposed to react in this scenario. And it's something that, honestly, I wish I did at more of my schools and more training that I do because I think it's really impactful. And all these years later, it's something that has stuck with me. And that's something you can do at home. At a time when they are not directly getting into trouble, sit down with them. Think of scenarios that 
commonly come up and practice them. Just like kids need to practice soccer to get better at soccer. Kids need to read more to get better at reading. Kids need to practice these emotional skills to get better at handling their emotions and being able to receive feedback better as they get older. Yeah, we've done this with Ryder a lot with Ninja Warrior. And, you know, you've mentioned a couple of the specific scenarios, but more in general, just like when he loses or, you know, he falls off at one of the events. You know, we've worked with him on like, all right, you fall off. What do you do now? And, you know, as I, I also coach soccer, I'm educator by day, soccer coach by night, I guess. But I also do this with some of my players and they're eight years old, nine years old. And so they, they're learning this game of soccer. But when you're learning the game, you make a lot of mistakes. You don't kick it all that well. You might miss a pass. You might score on your own goal. And so, yes, with certain players, I have to practice all these things because the last thing I need is a player that's not in a good state of mind on the field. I can't have one of my players being angry and upset on a field because, well, that takes away from the team then. And something we can do as parents is if a child starts escalating at home, talks back when you request something, first of all, staying calm. If you start screaming and yelling, your child's response likely is going to be to scream and yell back. I think Jacqueline and I both see this a lot in our respective fields because we're dealing with children and parents. And so oftentimes I've had, uh, I've had to call a parent in if a child is you know in trouble or, or misbehaving or something. So I'll have to call the parent on the phone or they'll come into the school. And I've had certain situations where the parent is as escalated at the child, sometimes at the child, sometimes at me. <laughs> but either way, the parent is escalated as well. And this is really telling the child, this is how you deal with this scenario. And I mean, I, I think we can all agree that's probably, usually, not the best way to handle a scenario. Yes, staying calm. I see it in the doctor's office too. Occasionally I'll see parents, and they're usually teenagers, arguing back and forth. And, you know, I try to set the stage, but remind the adult, listen, you're allowed to feel just as the child is allowed to feel how they want to feel. But as the adult in this scenario, take a deep breath, hide it, fake it while you're in front of your child. Stay calm because that's going to help your child calm down. The actions that you show are the ones you want your child to emulate. Something else you can do at home too. Uh, recently, one of the doctors, uh, Caroline Thomas, that I used to work with uh, back before we moved to Greensboro, um, reminded me of this uh, on our Instagram page. Sometimes children just snap back out of habit. And if you make a request from your child and they say, no, I don't want to do that right now. If that just seemed to come out of nowhere, you know, one approach can be, I don't really appreciate that response. Take a deep breath. I'm going to ask you again. Let's, let's try this again and see how you can respond. And who doesn't want a second chance? And often what can happen is the child will then realize, oh, wait, no, that wasn't how I was supposed to act. Answer correctly the second time. Be more respectful the second time. And then you've just moved on instead of escalating this into a 20-minute argument. It's about the adult recognizing that this is an opportunity for the child to correct it. And like Jacqueline said, most children want to get this correct. And they realize that they messed up. They probably then realize that they've messed up and they've escalated to some degree. So if you stay calm and then recognize that, oh, I can give them another chance in this scenario, I think you'd be really pleased with the results. Teachers get to do this all the time. All right, this is just part of being an educator is giving kids second chance and sometimes third, fourth, and fifth as well. <laughs> That's another story. But we, we are 
trained to teach children how to get these second chances because let's be honest, kids mess up. Adults mess up too, but kids mess up a lot. And when we are giving them a second chance, we are showing them, hey, it's okay to make a mistake. Let's get it right. Don't we do this all the time when, when we're learning? We don't always get the math problem right the first time. We don't always learn to say the word correctly the first time. And we never have a problem giving a second chance there. So why not with our behavior as well? I think to what Adam said, it's also important to let our kids know we make mistakes too and give them specific examples. I remember I was showing Ryder a video, uh, one of his Ninja Warrior coaches, who's one of the like top people in the country, he was on an event and something so simple that we know that he could do he just made a silly error and even though that i'm sure frustrated him it was a video it was live streamed um so we weren't there but Ryder actually almost felt relieved watching that because he realized oh the coach can make mistakes too it's it's reassuring isn't yes. it when you could see uh adults are human as well and they make mistakes so another action you can take uh, or a practice uh, approach you can take is reflecting with your child or with your student on times when they're sad or when they were frustrated, but doing it when they're in a level-headed mood. So in the moment, it's probably not the time to say, hey, I want you to go ahead and think about what you just did. Tell me what you could do better. Give it a second. If they're still hot, if they're still really frustrated, they're not probably in the right state of mind to reflect and automatically do better. Now, you can give them that second chance, of course, but a full sit-down reflection, walk through it again, probably not the best time right in the moment. Yeah, often kids even need to sleep and the next day sit down and discuss what happened. Again, go back to being an administrator. I have to do this all the time when you know a child gets sent to the office and oftentimes a, a teacher will send a child to the office in the heat of the moment. Sometimes it's for safety. Sometimes it's just because the teacher has had enough. But that's not my time to start talking to the child about what happened because all they're going to do is start yelling at me again. So what I usually do is just give them 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes just to chill out. And sometimes, yeah, it has to go to the next day before we can actually talk about what happened. I actually just had a student the other day who, believe it or not, it was something that happened two weeks ago and the child really just couldn't let it go. But I tried talking to him when it first happened. It just wasn't working. And I had to wait two weeks before we can actually have a very calm, level-headed, it was a fifth grader, uh, level-headed discussion about what actually happened. We were able to make amends with the teacher. I was kind of the mediator in the situation. Uh, the child felt that they were being kind of isolated by the teacher and so we were able to talk it out make amends and move on one way i try to describe this to parents is you've got kind of different parts of your brain and you've got what's called the limbic system or the emotional part of your brain and that's the fight flight or fee and that is very similar to the brain inside of an animal and then you've got the prefrontal cortex the most forward part of your brain that is the most what I call human part of the brain that's not fully mature until about 25 years old and so what happens is when anybody gets upset but especially children that limbic system takes over that emotional part of their brain and I tell parents 
think of what it's doing is when that limbic system, when your child is so emotional, having, you know, whether you call it a tantrum, a meltdown, or even just a moment, realize that mentally, knock them down a few years, even five, 10 years. So mentally, your children almost become toddlers again. And just like you can't logic with a toddler, you cannot have a logical conversation with a child of any age, even a teenager, who is having a strong emotional moment. They just can't use that prefrontal cortex, that logical part of their brain. They need for that limbic system, their emotional piece to kind of calm down and relax before the logic part can take over and process what happened. Man, 25 years old. I'm sure some <laughs> some uh, people would argue it goes even later than that, but that's okay. I hope you've had a chance to reflect today in case you've ever had a child who has gotten in trouble and maybe argued back or talked back or wanted to fight you on it or got angry. I think we've all been there. And with all the stuff we've said today, I hope you realize you're not alone because sometimes you look out in the crowd and you think, oh, my kid is the only one that ever misbehaves. I promise you, you're not alone. And uh, you're hearing it from an educator and a pediatrician that, nope, you are definitely not alone. I hear this all the time in the office. Parents will talk about their child's meltdowns or them getting really upset over things, and that's that's normal. That's life. It's our job as parents to teach our children how to better control their emotions so they can move on with their day. So an event that maybe one point would turn into a huge meltdown and your child would be thinking about for weeks, maybe they can get over in 10 minutes and move on. And as always, remember... You know your child best. There's no such thing as the perfect parent, but you can be the perfect parent for your child.